I think that if if I was in a situation where I had to stay in Brevard until the weekend of Leadville and then fly straight to Leadville, I would consider using an altitude tent for Leadville. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, Power Bag Edition, Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we're answering a few listener questions on when, if any, is the most appropriate time to use an altitude tent, advice for new coaches looking to enhance their knowledge and experience, and best fueling practices for long road races. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. When it comes to preparing physically for big goal events, people often underestimate the importance of nutrition and the role it plays in affecting their output. Just like with the fitness side of the equation, Nutrition requires its own attention through dedicated digestion training, so while we're launching into the new year, get a jump start on your nutrition training by heading over to flowformulas.com today and make sure to use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review, and if you have any questions or feedback for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or you can head over to ignitioncoachco.com and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. Okay, first uh, question we got in this week is on the topic of altitude. Altitude. Uh, oh, this, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so they say the topic of altitude comes up a lot, either training or racing at altitude. Mm-hmm. For those of us that are living at lower altitude, like Dylan, do you ever consider the use of an altitude tent to increase performance? What are the limitations, and do you ever consider using one? Yes. I have used an altitude tent before. I don't currently use one, but back in college, I had an altitude tent in my dorm room. And And you still sucked. (laughs) Yeah. So, so if there's, if, if this is proof that I wasn't as talented as you in college, I think this is the proof. I was so serious about cycling that I had an altitude tent in my dorm room and you still we st- you we were doing the, the same races and you probably didn't even know I was racing. That's how far back I was. I didn't know you existed. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Did you know who? <laughs> did you know me in college? Yeah, because you were winning the races that I was doing, or yeah. you were at least podium podiuming <laughs> the races that I was doing. Yeah, I don't think I won any, but yeah, I was on the podium a lot. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yes, I so, have used an altitude tent before. Um, wow. Here, so here's the I thing have, about. I have, I have an initial question. Does an altitude sure. tent look just like a camping tent? I've always wondered that. No. What's it look like? I mean, like? just just look it up on your computer right now. Yeah, I guess there is Google. For okay, that so so <laughs> if you're considering an altitude tent, I would oh, okay. probably. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't. I still don't. I I don't use an altitude tent now, and there's a reason why. I think. One, an altitude tent is pretty uncomfortable to sleep in. It's extremely noisy. It's extremely hot and humid. Um, that, if would you're be good, good, that would be good training too, though, right? Uh, I don't know if sleeping in the heat... Probably not hot enough, though. Yeah, right? I mean, I mean like it's, it's not hot enough that you're maybe heat acclimating. Me. It's just hot okay. enough that it's very right. uncomfortable to sleep in. You know? Yeah. Can, and can you adjust the the humidity? If you in, have a, inside I mean, a tent, if you have a humidifier, you can, but or a dehumidifier, okay. but um, you can adjust the altitude, but 
the the humidity is just the product of you breathing inside a closed tent. Sure. Um, so it's not very comfortable to sleep in. If you're if you're a sound sleeper, it might not be an issue for you. In college, it wasn't that much of an issue for me. I sleep pretty well, but a lot of people would probably struggle. Um, and then the other thing is that the the research that I've seen on the tents it seems to indicate that you need to spend a lot of time in the tent to actually get the benefits. We're, I mean, we're talking about 12 to 14 hours a day, which is more than most people sleep. I mean, most people, if they're sleeping eight hours a day, that's pretty good. I mean, they're suggesting that eight hours is still not enough. Um, So it's, and, and then even at that point, it's, it's kind of, uh, I would say that it, it's up for debate whether there's actually a benefit or not, even at that point. Okay. So, 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 you know, you, you mentioned you don't use one anymore Mm -hmm. and is part of the reason you don't use one anymore because you have the ability to go altitude or acclimate at altitude, like in Colorado, Mm -hmm. like, let's just say that was off the table for you or, you know, an athlete. Yeah, uh, I, I guess that is part of the... Like, when would you consider an altitude sure. tent? I guess that is beneficial. part of the reason. I mean, if I'm training for Leadville, I don't have to use an altitude tent at this point in my life. I can just go to Colorado. I think that if if I was in a situation where I had to stay in Brevard until the weekend of Leadville and then fly straight to Leadville, I would consider using an altitude tent for Leadville. Um, but again, it's it's... It's very expensive. It's very uncomfortable. It's very, it's, you know, it's not very convenient. Uh, and we're talking about a marginal gain. Uh, I mean, when we're, when we're, like, when we're talking about marginal right. equipment gains, like an oversized pulley wheel or a slightly more aero frame or, you know, aero socks or whatever, I mean, I would put using an altitude tent ar- around the same category as all of those things. And it's way more expensive. And a, I'm a looking way up one bigger right now pain in the butt. Three hundred dollars. That's not that expensive. <laughs> All that's right, like a pair of, that's like a pair of nice Aero socks. Well, back, yeah, I guess so. Back when I <laughs> back when I used altitude tents in college, they were I don't know three to four grand. I don't know which altitude tent you're looking at, but yeah, I'm sure they've come a long mile, way since then. High training. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. So so Dylan so. At what altitude do you recommend people even be worried about acclimating? Um, I mean, I know it's yeah, different for everyone. You but. know, um, I mean, I would probably say that if your race is probably six thousand feet and above, you should probably start start getting a little worried about acclimating. Um, yeah, certainly Leadville. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of people that do Leadville without acclimating. So it's not the it's not the end of the world if you don't acclimate for an altitude race, but if it's an A race and you're trying to eke out every every little bit of performance you can, you can't you can't ignore it if it's a high altitude race like yeah. Leadville. That's what I, I was going to say. So you know, six or seven thousand feet. Once you get up to that higher, higher, yeah. um, and then certainly once you go above that, like every thousand feet you go above that is like more exponential the effect. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like like Leadville. I mean, if you're not acclimated, I think it's like roughly 22% is what you know your mm-hmm. your deficit's going to be at alt- at 10,000 feet 10 to 12,000 right. feet um but w- but if you're acclimated it's only it's still only like 80 or like like 15 to 16%, right? I mean you're only, you're gaining a few percent. Yeah, right. 
with right. that acclimation. And I, it's not like you being acclimated is like all of a sudden you can breathe at 10,000 feet. Like you're still going to feel the effects. Exactly. And, and the thing to keep in mind too, is that there is a huge genetic component to altitude acclimation. Some people don't, don't sure. out acclimate to altitude very well at all. Some people acclimate extremely quickly. Some people might acclimate, but it takes them longer. Um, and so with all of these altitude protocols, uh, I would say the unfortunate answer is that you kind of have to test it on yourself to know what the the right answer for you is. Oh, the the tent is only three hundred dollars. You have to also buy a generator. That is twenty five hundred dollars. Exactly, dude. Yeah, got it. Okay, I'm like that doesn't make any sense. Well, the tent the tent is not the the tent itself is not the expensive part. Obviously, they sell them separate. Apparently, you could maybe like use a camping tent and seal up any holes, but the generator yeah. is the expensive yeah. part. Okay, got it. That makes way yeah. more sense. I was about to purchase this right now, but now it's a marginal gain that I will not be acquiring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I. so I actually, back in college, I mean, I used it to get better for sea level races too. I think that it it's a marginal gain for altitude races. I think that to the point that you're using it to get ready for sea level races, which some people do, um, there's some people who aren't training for an altitude race who are using altitude tents. I mean, that is probably like put oversized pulley wheels and an altitude tent for a sea level race are probably equivalent in terms of the gain they're going to give you. You know, it's so marginal. So, yeah, because I, I get that asked that question a fair bit from from some athletes that do live at altitude is like, you know, how much boost and fitness are they going to experience when they go down to sea level? And I usually tell them, like, you're going to experience less of an increase when you go down to sea level than you will feel going from sea level to altitude. Like, that's going to be a a greater delta than Mm -hmm. altitude to sea level. Great. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Anything else to add here with the altitude topic? Um, I mean, I could talk talk more about altitude, but I, you know, I'll I'll spare Drew. When you're creating a race calendar at the beginning of the year, if there are any races at altitude, just delete those off the race calendar. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, the hard thing is, like, if you're a mountain biker, there's so many bucket list mountain bike races that are at altitude. Yeah. I mean, you, sure, you can find plenty of good races that aren't, yeah. but, you know, it's like part of mountain biking is like going into the mountains. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, there's some bucket list gravel races at altitude, too. Steamboat. Oh, for know, sure. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, this next question, this one, uh, this one's an interesting question. So this one comes from Xander. Uh, Xander wants to Xander know uh, if you guys have any... That's yes. a cool name. <laughs> it is a cool name. <laughs> uh, if you guys have any guidance or resources for someone that's looking to get into coaching. I am currently a freshman in college and I coach a few local high school cyclists. I have a good understanding of training peaks, me- training peaks metrics, polarization, training zones, how to structure weeks, etc. But there is so much more nuance to coaching than that. I would love to know how all of you got into coaching and what steps you made to become a quality coach. Thanks, Xander. Good question. I like it. Great question. Um, yep. I think anybody can get good at anything. Well, let me take that back. Anybody can learn a lot about anything if they just have a deep enough passion for it. So like when I wanted to get into coaching, uh, like I immediately just started grabbing every book that I could get on coaching and reading it. Um, so I would think of three, 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 three things come to mind right off the bat. 
One would be to try to just read as many good books as you can. Obviously, my first recommendation is going to be Matt Fitzgerald. All of his books are uh, pretty science-based and very applicable, uh, like very simple to understand and a lot of application in in his books. Uh, And he does a lot of, he's done a lot of um, research with high-performing athletes. So a lot of his books are, are, he's looking at top athletes and, and kind of figuring out what they do and talking about that a lot, which I like. And then the second thing would be watch YouTube videos. Like Dylan has, I don't know, like a hundred plus videos now that you could probably go and watch. And all of his videos are scientific and they're all about coaching, which are two things that are going to help you grow. Can't you believe you're plugging my YouTube channel. I guess you could watch mine too, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think of Dylan before I think of mine, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and then the last thing would I be is to hang out with other coaches. Uh, like we, we started Ignition Coach Go. We've got like 15 coaches and we get on biweekly phone calls and we just talk about coaching. We talk about coaching related topics. And I think just having that growth together as a group and just being with other like-minded coaches who also want to get better, be better coaches uh, pushes you to be a better coach. Just being around people with that same mindset. All three of those things are the first things that pop into my head. Yeah, for sure. And and one of the things I like that you, you pulled out when you were talking about Matt Fitzgerald's books is the the fact that his his literature is is put out in a way that's applicable to you know most athletes and that's kind of the that's the balance point when you're trying to be a, a good coach you you want to follow like what the sign like the latest research is telling you as far as um you know the, the the training and the methods for inducing the adaptations you're looking for but you also have to keep in mind the fact that most of the time the athletes that you're coaching are living a pretty standard life and there's a lot of constraints that they're dealing with that the lab research isn't actually accounting for. So you, you most of the time can't go off of just what the most nominal training method is because there's just going to be things that, that get in the way. Um, so I, I like that you brought up that, that application aspect. Uh, Cause I think, I think that's really important. And then um, two, I also like, you know, the fact that you're mentioning surrounding yourself with, with other coaches and don't be afraid to, to reach out. I mean, like it's, it's great that you're reaching out to us and asking for some advice and, and some resources here, but don't be afraid to, yeah, reach out and you know and ask for some mentorship from some of the coaches that you have around you. If if you're in college right now, maybe maybe you have a cycling team that you that you're on, uh, and you've got a coach there. Um, but yeah, most coaches are going to be willing and open to sharing advice and experience from what they've learned. Um, you know, and, and one thing that I would say too is right now, I mean, I don't I don't know how deep into coaching you're trying to get. Uh, if if it's just a matter of improving yourself as a coach for the local high school athletes that you're coaching. Like one thing I would say there is uh, you might not want to know too much in that regard just yet, because with coaching high schoolers, sometimes the simpler, the better. Uh, Sure, there's like certain methods and, um, you know, philosophies that you want to apply, but you also have to keep in mind the sporadic nature of most high schoolers. So you don't want to make it overly complicated for them. And the more you can relate to them, the better. The fact that you're in college, you're only a couple years removed from high school. Well, you're a freshman, so you're only a year removed from high school. Uh, That's great because that that gives them a chance to relate to you versus, you know, a high schooler that's being coached by someone that's much older. It's harder for those two uh, individuals to get on the same page or, you know, be in each other's shoes at times. Did did Xander mention what he's studying in college? 
Now he's only a freshman, so I I don't know if Xander even knows yeah, sure. what he's going to study. I mean, yet. So if he's, if he's, you're if you want to make coaching your career versus just a hobby or a part time job, um, you may consider doing exercise physiology or exercise science. Uh, I don't think you need that degree to be a good coach. I mean, Drew, you know, Drew and Adam are perfect examples of good coaches that don't have that degree, but. I think I'm a good coach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you plugged my YouTube channel, so I had to return the favor. (laughs) So I, I don't think you need that degree, but I think it is helpful. I think it gives you just a little bit more of a knowledge base. And I'm going to be honest, most of the stuff that I learned in my exercise science classes is stuff that I don't apply every day as a coach. Um, It, you know, it gets very much into the weeds and, and, and it's not necessarily applicable to cyclists, but um, not, I mean, at least not everything we learned is apl- applicable to cyclists. Some of it is, but, but at least it'll give you a little bit more of a knowledge base. And if you ever are ever applying to, for a job at a coaching company, it, it is, it's a bonus to have that. If, if for I sure. were you, if I went back and told myself advice on like what to do in college, I would tell myself to get a minor in communication because I think uh, if you're going to, you know, bump up your resume in the regard of coaching, I feel like that would go a long way as well. Uh, I personally really enjoyed the communication classes I took in college. Like I took my senior year when I had just extra credits to take, I took advanced public speaking and I was like the only non-communication major in the class. And they were like, are you lost? Like, why are you here? Nobody takes public (laughs) speaking. Um, and I think that that's a huge asset to have because most coaches get fired, I would say more so for a lack of communication than a lack of like training knowledge. Uh, I feel like the whole coaching relationship either, you know, stands or falls on the communication piece of it. So if you've just got, you know, a pretty sturdy foundation of communication, I think that will go a long way as well. Yeah, and that's something that we highly value at Ignition is the communication aspect of the coach-athlete relationship, which is why we don't put a hard constraint on how much communication an athlete can have with their coach. You know, a lot of coaching companies will restrict, you know, you can only get one 15-minute phone call with a coach a month and you can only send two emails and then, you know, once a week you can check in on training peaks, but we try to leave that line of communication open more or less so that if and when an athlete has a question, which comes up a fair bit, they, they can get the answer they're looking for in a quick manner. Um, you know, I tell my athletes training peaks is a, is a great way to facilitate daily communication. That's where I get some context and insight into how your daily training's going. Emails kind of reserved for if you have that bigger training related question or maybe some equipment questions, anything that's like not super urgent, but deserves a more elaborate response. And then if something comes up like right before your workout or the day of your workout and you need a quick alteration to your training, uh, that's usually when I tell them like, you know, shoot me a quick text or something, because if you need a response within a couple hours, you know, or an hour, um, email is not usually the best. It's like, send me a quick text and I'll, I'll send you an alteration. Um, but we try to keep that open because it's highly valuable. The communication between an athlete and a coach is like one of the key components of, of making that relationship sustainable. Um, one other thing that I was going to add too is, you know, depending on whether or not you, like Dylan said, 
want to have a career in, in coaching uh, and what that looks like for you. If, it, if that means going to work for a coaching company, maybe not as applicable, but if you're looking to start up your own coaching business, maybe taking like a course in personal or business finances, um, you know, or even accounting would be beneficial. That's something that a lot of students don't learn in college, but it's highly applicable, especially if you're an entrepreneur um, or even uh, like a marketing class, like, like Drew was talking about, like, you know, taking some of these, like uh, these classes that you can, you can add on, um, you know, as electives, the further on you get into your, your college career, uh, like a marketing would, would go a long ways if you're starting your own coaching company. Um, you know, even if it's on the side, just, just being knowledgeable about what it takes to actually market to a select group of individuals. And if you want to work for Ignition Coach Co., you get to learn under some of the best because Dylan and Drew put all of our coaches through their rigorous uh, coaching training classes. I don't. What, would, what do you? What would you actually call, call training that? sessions? It's a five-part training training sessions. sessions. Yeah, or there's five five different training sessions that we go through with all of our new coaches. I'm actually starting session number one with four new coaches today. Right after this. Awesome. And communication is the number one thing that we go into on session one. We don't even talk about training until session two. Session one is work ethic. It's like a company overview, work ethic, and communication are the things that we have yep. session one. So we, we've, yeah, like, like Adam said, that's one of the highest things that we put on our priority list. Sweet. Well, yeah, good luck, Xander. Let us know how it goes. Uh, okay, one more, uh, one more question here. So this one comes from Steven. Uh, Steven says, hello, everyone. I signed up for a road race in May of this year. The race is 100 miles and 2,600 feet of elevation gain. My goal is to finish the race in under four and a half hours, which I think is very achievable for me. My question is what I should do about food and hydration. For my longest weekly rides, I do two 50-mile group rides every weekend and I bring two bottles with me and typically consume a gel around halfway through. I usually finish, end up finishing about a bottle and a half. The drink mix I use is Heed. Mm. The group ride usually lasts two hours. Any advice on what to bring for race day? At this point, I don't plan on stopping. I'm hoping to just stick with one of the lead groups. And then as a second secondary question, I find gels on the bike sometimes difficult to eat. I've tried gummies, and even those are and, and even though those are easier, I find it hard to chew and get them down. Are there any foods you can recommend? Uh, it says, I'm a 37-year-old, uh, 157 pounds, five foot seven. Thanks so much for the podcast. I love listening to y'all and I've learned a ton from your show. All right. Well, there's a lot to fix here, I will say. <laughs> uh, look, nothing against, I mean, nothing against Hammer products, but heat is not what I would be using to fuel myself for a long, a long distance bike race. Um, there are plenty of other really great products on the market that have a lot more carbohydrates. Uh, I would, I would probably be looking for a product that is giving you 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrates in your bottle. So for example, flow formulas does that it has the right maltodextrin to fructose ratio, which is important for absorbing the most amount of carbohydrates per hour and actually could help you with your dilemma that you're having where it's hard to eat on the bike. A lot of people have that. Um, I, I think that if you're having trouble eating gels on the bike, that's understandable. Um, I think that probably the best way to go about getting your calories in would be through drink mix. It's just easier to drink fluid than it is to eat something. And if you're having a problem with gels, which is kind of like the next step up 
from drink mix, I don't think you're going to be able to do chews or bars or anything that's more solid than that. So I would, I would probably try to uh, rely mostly on drink mix. And there are drink mixes that have a lot more carbohydrates than he does. Flow is a perfect example in the right maltodextrin to fructose ratio, and you're you're going to be a lot better off and probably not bonk because you're actually consuming the optimal number of carbohydrates per hour. I don't know how hot this race is going to be, but I would if if you were to do 60 to 90 grams of carbs in a bottle, shooting for a bottle an hour during this race is probably what I would do. Yeah, just a, yeah. I, I did so, a quick little Google search. Uh and the first thing that I can see for just on the, I'm on the feed and I'm looking at the Hammer 2.0 and the Flow drink mix, both of their endurance yeah, exactly what Dylan just said. Flow has it's two scoops for, of Flow. It's got sixty grams of carbs. But the main thing, the biggest difference that I'm noticing is like the how short the ingredients list for the Flow is. It's literally like six ingredients, and the Hammer is like three times as long in ingredients. Um, so I I don't know what that says to you, but there's a lot less stuff in the Flow mix, but there's way more carbs, and it's the right ratio. Um, so and probably a bit higher sodium content i would oh imagine man, i just closed the tabs i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i think for 60 grams of carbs from the flow mix it's roughly 500 uh, that's right i saw Billy? the hammer the hammer yeah, i think so yeah. so that's yeah if you so did two scoops of that the which is the interesting thing because a lot of the you know quote-unquote drink mixes that are just there for kind of hydration purposes you know just your basic scratch your heed um can't think of any other ones but you know they're, they're you know where they're 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 not really intended to be a carbohydrate replacement they're more just a hydration uh mix they're actually pretty low in sodium content so you know you might think like oh this is my salty drink mix but it's you know depending on how salty of a sweater you are it's probably not giving you enough sodium to actually you know replenish what you need to um, and, and one thing I was going to add too, so I don't know if Steven, when he's talking about, uh, gels being hard to eat, I don't know if that's like the packaging is difficult to open and, you know, and then, you know, store mm-hmm. in your, you know, put back in your pocket and get out of the gel, um, you know, the little, little packet. So, you know, if, if that's the case, like if you're just having a hard time getting it out of the packaging, one thing you could try are the gel flasks where you can dump like, you know, five gels or 10 gels into this flask. And then all you got to do is like pull the flask out and squirt it in your mouth. Um, it's a little bit easier packaging wise. It's harder to uh, meter how much you're getting in. So you have to be kind of like mindful of, of how much you're taking in. Uh, and the one big downfall to this, and it's kind of the same with the drink mix, honestly, is that if you lose your hydration or if you lose your gel flask, screwed. same thing if you lose a bottle that's got all of your calories in it, you just lost a ton of nutrition. Always carry so extra. It is a little bit riskier. You have to, you've got to be, yeah, you've got to be careful. Um, you know, in this case here, Steven's talking about how he's not going to stop for four and a half hours. Uh, you know, that means if you're trying to do it all on drink mix, you've got to bring five bottles with you, uh, which might be tough. You know, that's, I don't, I don't know of too many people that put, a bottle in each of their three pockets in the back. And that's assuming you do have three pockets, you know, more common, you'd see maybe two bottles in the back, you know, or even less, you know, one, 
Um, probably not going to be enough hydration if you're only doing three bottles, but you could probably get by if you needed to, uh, in which case you can't just rely on the drink mix because you've got to have more calories than that. So um, just a couple things to add there. I mean, I I usually do a kind of a combo. I'll have some high concentrated drink mix like flow. Um, I actually do use flow and then I'll have some gels to kind of supplement that. And one new product that they came out with last year was their endurance gel mix, which is just, I mean, it's, it's a highly concentrated carbohydrate mix that you, you, you know, mix in with less water and then you can put it in one of their gel flasks and, and it's a, you know, hydrogel in a sense. So it, you can take those in without needing pure water, uh, most of the time, which I think is beneficial because if you're just taking standard gels on top of your 90 grams of carbs drink mix, that can cause some GI issues too. Cause usually you want a little bit of just plain water with, with the gels. I so was, uh, that's an option. I was the first race that I used those, the endurance gel mix from flow. It's, 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 it's in a flask and it's, uh, it's pretty thick. And so you have to like, I was squeezing it and trying to like suck it out at the same time to get it out quicker so that I could, you know, minimize the amount of time that I'm, you know, screwed mm-hmm. with this thing in the middle of the race. And I guess I was tugging on it as well. <laughs> and the top of the thing just mm-hmm. blew off and like half of the thing just squirted out. I lost the top of the flask and I'm like, so I can't put it back in my pocket like with, cause it'll just leak out. So I was like, well, here goes nothing. And I had to down the rest of the flask because I'm like, I need these carbs. So I just downed yeah. it all, whatever was left. I mean, half of it was on my arm. So I'm like licking my arm and I'm <laughs> squeezing it out of the... Oh, and it's so yeah, sticky it's too. so sticky. Um, so I learned my lesson there. Be careful there. Don't like blow off the top of the flask and carry extra. Um, I always carry like a few little gel, uh, like just standard gels. And I, because th- those are easy sure. just to like stuff into the bottom of your pocket as like, an emergency. Mm-hmm. And I usually don't even use those. Like those are emergency. But um so so some like practical advice to him because he's trying to carry it all. What I was doing last year, and this was with all flow products. I know we're like really plugging flow, but it works. Uh and our and our podcast has a discount code, ignition podcast. Is that right, Adam? Yep. Use that code, you get 10% off. Um but what I was doing was I was doing like a hyper concentrated bottle, two hyper concentrated bottles. I'd start the race with two big bottles and those were the only two bottles I was carrying. And, uh, and they each had 150 grams of carbs in each. So you want to try this before you like get to your a race. So don't just show up that day with 150 grams. That's four scoops of flow per bottle. Uh, and if you mix it the night before, it should like dissolve overnight. What? Five scoops. five scoops, five times. Yeah, you're right. That is five scoops. <laughs> five scoops. <laughs> uh, Dude, five five scoops is weak sauce, man. I've seen Logan uh, put freaking twelve scoops in one bottle. Yeah, so I do two. Uh, yeah, so I had two bottles with five scoops. Dissolve it overnight, but I also have two of the flasks of the gel mix in my pockets because that takes up way less space. Mm. So instead of trying to carry, yeah four bottles you can carry two big bottles and two flasks in your pocket and that takes up way less space and weight um and then what i would do to adam's point of like just getting water uh i would i would focus primarily for the first two hours of the race to get down one of those bottles um that way as soon as i get to like a neutral hand up or somewhere where i can put water in that bottle or get a bottle of water i could just swap out that bottle so i would yeah so i'm like the first half of the race 
I'm trying to go through my bottles. The second half of the race, I've got water and I've got the gel mix. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I like that. And that seemed to work. I like that was like my go-to plan for every race that was like, you know, long. Cool. Yeah, so good luck, Stephen. Make sure to practice ahead of time. And uh, yeah, let us know how it goes. Well, sweet. That wraps it up for today. <laughs> sweet. All right. Thanks, yep, guys. See ya. We'll see you all next week. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Can I trust my coach? That's a good question. And we believe that you should totally be asking that question if you're working with a coach. And when it comes to the coaches at Ignition Coach Co., I like to say the proof is in the pudding. Every single one of our coaches has high levels of racing experience. Or in other words, our coaches are fast. And if they're fast, then they can make you fast too. I mean, come on. Who do you want to be your coach? The guy with a clipboard on the sidelines or the guy with his hands in the air crossing the finish line? I don't know about you, but I'm going with the winner. Sign up for coaching today at ignitioncoachco.com.